Hey there! Depending on when you're listening to this episode, the dates and timelines mentioned may no longer apply. If you're enjoying the episodes thus far on the OnChain Medley podcast, there are a few ways you can support. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can share with your friends, families, and communities you're a part of. Your support really does go a long way, so thank you so much for that. All right, on to this episode. In the past five years, like the influx of traditional finance has changed so many things. Like, if you're staking in DeFi, you can't see proper returns unless you stake like tens of thousands of dollars. NFTs are just insanely expensive. Uh, joining DAOs, like I, I love DAOs. You know, I have nothing against like friends with benefits, but come on, like putting in like five thousand dollars just to join your DAO, like not everyone has five k just lying around, you know. That was Mashiat with Maina. Mashiat is a product partner and NFT lead contributor at Celo. Celo is an open platform that makes financial tools accessible to anyone with a mobile phone. Celo focuses on mobile first and its Ethereum compatible blockchain is optimized for peer-to-peer payments using only a mobile phone number. Mashiat is also a leader and active contributor for Boys Club, a community that aims to be a no-bro zone for the crypto curious by making crypto and Web3 accessible to everyone else. The community hosts dinners, educational sessions, and is designed for women and non-binary people, but is welcoming to all. In this episode, Mashia, aka Mash, and I, we discuss her conviction about blockchain, Web3, what DeFi is, what Celo enables for countries in emerging markets, as well as her involvement with Boys Club. Mashit has been active in this space for about a decade now and has seen it go through various transformations over the years. I found our insights invaluable, and I'm sure you will too. Without further ado, here's Mashia. Hi, Mash. Welcome to the OnChain Medley podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you, Lydie, for inviting me. I'm very excited to just, you know, chat and get to know you. Yeah, same here. I'm looking forward to all your knowledge you're going to drop today. So excited to talk to you. Let's get started with your background and what sparked your interest in Web3 and blockchain. So... Unlike most people, my background has always been in crypto and blockchain. And yeah, and it's like really interesting because most folks like, you know, um, they usually have like a breadth of experience like in Web2 and other industries, which is so cool. I've been in crypto for a while. Uh, I joined uh, my university's blockchain club um, in 2016 um, when I was studying in Berkeley as a sophomore. And um, at that time, I was studying applied math and econ. And so I was like looking for student orgs to join. um, And there was like the math club, which was doing cool stuff, but it was super theoretical. And then there were like all the econ clubs that were doing like a lot of awesome consulting stuff. But I really was looking for emerging technology and specifically emerging technology that could work in emerging markets. And so I heard a lot about Bitcoin then. And um, I just kind of looked it up over the winter break and started reading and especially got really fascinated by like the applications of blockchain and and how it could help with um, removing intermediaries in emerging markets that face corruption. And so I was shopped around um, my university um, kind of student org, like we have this fair. Um, And, you know, I came across the blockchain club, it just got started that semester. And so I joined and uh, it was honestly such an amazing experience. Um, I got to work with really, really smart people who are doing amazing stuff these days um, in the space. And um, I really got to work on like cool projects that were centered around new use cases for blockchain. 
Um, so I was able to hit like a lot of different like niches, like climate, health, data, identity and access management, and, and, and just learn a lot and absorb. I think also just at that time, like I keep on saying blockchain because in 2017, this is what the industry was called. <laughs> now it's Web3. And I think like at that time, what just really interested me was just, you know, the idea that we have a technology that's decentralized and distributed and it puts, puts ownership of assets, data, security, finances in the hands of the people. And I really loved that uh, about like Web3 and uh, really wanted to kind of keep on pursuing that. And so I took on a lot of like different projects through Blockchain at Berkeley, which was like my university club. And then I also kind of got interested in the diversity aspect of it in 2018 and uh, started She256 uh, with uh, some of my amazing co-founders, Meta Kotari, Alexis Gaba of Open Protocol, and also Sarah Reynolds of Uniswap. And um, they have continued She256 to where it is today, which is absolutely amazing. But you know, at that time in 2018, diversity nonprofits were just starting out. And so um, we were able to kind of host some amazing events, um, do Berkeley's first women in blockchain conference, have launched mentorship programs, do workshops with more women and non-binary folks in the space. And I think uh, that's kind of what kept me going um, in crypto. Uh, these days, I'm currently working at Celo. Um, within the Cello Foundation, I work um, in the innovation team where I explore new use cases for crypto. I validate my hypotheses using pilots in different communities, and um, you know, I try to like uh, try to find different forms of product market fit so that I can bring utility um, uh, to NFTs, DeFi, DAOs. Um, right now, I'm also doing a little bit more strategy work at Cello, so I am driving the NFT initiative there. Um, I work a lot with builders in our ecosystem, help them uh, get their products launched, help them get funds and, and grants, and then um, also kind of figure out new forms of utility for NFTs as well and how Cello can innovate on those. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. No, fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's so cool to hear everything you've been through and all the different uh, ways you're innovating in the space and influencing the ecosystem. Before we talk more about what you're doing at Cello, I, I'm curious, what was it about blockchain. You're right. I, I've been in this space for like, well, I've known of it for the last like 10 years and it was always blockchain until <laughs> it became Web3. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that's new. I kind of use them interchangeably anyway, but you know, people might beg to differ. My, what was it about the space that gave you some conviction that it was something worth pursuing? What problem did you, what opportunity did you think it unlocked? Like what was that conviction that you got from working in this space? Yeah, I think the conviction that I got is the same conviction as to why I'm now at Cello. I think I've always been interested in microfinance, right? Especially microfinance and micro entrepreneurship that comes along with it. And how microfinance was able to change emerging markets like the Philippines, like Bangladesh, like India into these powerhouses and, and give sustainable livelihood for a lot of people um, in underbanked and underserved areas. But the biggest problem in all of these emerging markets is also corruption, right? Like um, when you use like centralized financial intermediaries, like most of the money, even though it's coming from like big foundations like the Gates Foundation or, you know, the Grameen Foundation, some of them end up in the hands of like corrupted government officials. And so for me, when I was, uh, I read a case study about how um, some folks used blockchain to like, send like crypto to like microfinance institutions. And it just really blew me away. Like the fact that you could uh, just bypass this corrupted intermediary and have checks and balances in place with smart contracts was really cool. 
And uh, one of my colleagues at Cello, Angelo, he actually did that during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, he was able to disperse uh, COVID-19 aid to Philippine labor workers using the Cello network. And so I was just like, okay, this is why I'm here. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to be able to kind of bring on a whole new level of micro work opportunities, micro entrepreneurship opportunities through crypto. And then as I joined the org, you know, I got pulled into a lot of different forms of uh, use cases for uh, crypto as well, like NFTs and stuff. But um, that's always been kind of like the thing that got me started. Gosh, yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. I was really interested in remittances. That's why I believed in this ecosystem. And then I've seen it change in different directions and I'm, I have questions about a lot of them, but that's why I'm talking to you. Um, so mm-hmm. someone who's just coming in and um, was like, what is DeFi? What is that? I'd love you to just explain what DeFi is and then delve that into what Cello is doing at a deeper level, if you can. Yeah, sure. So um, DeFi is decentralized finance. So basically in the traditional world, like what we do is centralized finance. So we put our money in the bank and then the bank takes our money and then, you know, it lends it out. And that's how we get interest in our accounts, right? When we put our money in the bank. Um, with DeFi, I, w- I wouldn't say like, this is the thing with DeFi. I think like DeFi, everyone thinks like there's no bank, but in reality, like the protocols that you use, right? Or the pools that you use, they act as banks. But the cool thing about DeFi is that you do the custody of your assets is is owned by yourself. There's self-custody of your assets, whereas the bank doesn't really like own your assets. And I think that's just what's really powerful, right? Like you're able to own your assets. You're able to own the decisions that you make, the investment decisions that you make, and you're able to own the data that comes along with it. And so that's how I see DeFi to be different from traditional finance. I hope that was helpful. Or if you need me to dive a little bit more deeper. Yeah, that was that was helpful. And I like that explanation. But I, I'm wondering, do you think people actually want that responsibility of owning their own assets? And because the bank sort of does everything and you know that if, if something is wrong, they'll go rectify it and you don't have to like worry too much about it. Besides like reporting and checking and making sure things are balanced properly. But like, do you think the average person is actually ready to take on this responsibility? And I'm speaking from like a US perspective, but like just curious how you see that playing out in yeah sort of the developed world versus the developing world? Yeah, I I think that's like the age old question too, right? It's like, that is the debate, I think. And that's the golden question. Like, um, of course, these protocols are highly risky, right? Like they're not FDIC insured, (laughs) Um, which is like, yeah, they're just not FDIC insured. But at the same time, I think it depends on the person too, right? Depends on your risk, risk tolerance, like at the bank, at at a centralized bank, like you're depositing in your funds, like you're getting like point. 0.5% interest, right? You take the time to learn about DeFi, you do your research, and you put in amounts of money that you're okay with losing. You can earn APY up to like 5 to 10% on centralized exchanges. If you now do decentralized protocols, which are more risky, you can earn APY, you know, up to like 20%, 50%, 20%, 50%, etc. right? Like there's ridiculous APY rates. But it again, like depends on the risk tolerance of the person. And it also depends on how smart you are with your finances. Like, I think that if you're able to put aside money that you're actually okay with losing, like, a- and you take the time to do your own research, and you take the time to have proper security, uh, security measures in place, like, invest in a hard wallet, you know, or like a cold wallet, make sure that your keys are safely stored. I think that it is possible because at the end of the day, like the systems, the financial systems that are in place, they only benefit people who have large amounts of capital um, to begin with. 
And, and as somebody who's like a, a brown woman, um, I wasn't taught about like personal finances growing up at all. And I'm just learning how to like navigate that world. The, the way like the average, you know, the average financial user, uh, the information that's out there for them is it's not that transparent. And the, the great thing about DeFi is that most of the protocols on Celo's ecosystem are open source. And many of these protocols are transparent because that's what that's the benefit of the blockchain. And as you stake and as you put your money into these DeFi protocols, you can get like, you know, tokens back and then you can vote on proposals on how that protocol can help you. So I think that that's the power of DeFi, right? If, if you are of like, if you do have higher risk tolerance and you put in the time to intentionally do your research, to intentionally set up the right security measures and to intentionally put in funds that you're okay to play around with, you can drastically, you know, kind of take benefits of like a transparent, decentralized ecosystem and have some ownership, not only of your own funds, but of how the protocol is benefiting you and how how much yield you're receiving. And I think that's something what that draws people to DeFi. Of course, uh, there's a lot of like things that need to be changed, right? Like there needs to be more education. There needs to be easier ways of onboarding. There needs to be easier forms of UI UX. Like I think UI UX is a huge hurdle um, in this space, especially with DeFi. And I think that's some of the things that we're doing at Celo that we're trying to solve at Celo is that we're trying to bring more intentional, friendly design and trying to market to folks who don't have access to a lot of funds because we're of the belief that DeFi should be for everyone. You know, um, you don't need like 10K and um, three screens to invest in DeFi. You just need like $10 and your phone. And that's kind of what we're we're looking at solving. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So then thinking through Stella now, you mentioned a little bit about what you're doing. Um, can you share about where the company's going, how the traction is in the space? How is it being received by your target audience? Just anything you can share there? Yeah, sure. Um, so I can give like a little background on Celo. So Celo is a layer one. We are a blockchain network similar to Ethereum. We're actually a fork. We started off as a fork of Ethereum and uh, we're on a mission to bring prosperity for all. And one of the ways in which we do that is through mobile first tech stack. So Celo, our network is optimized for, for mobile phones. Um, and basically this ensures that we have really lightweight transactions and the transactions are settled instantaneously and the gas fees are like a hundredth of a penny. The other cool thing about Celo is that because we're synchronized and we're optimized for mobile phones, this means that you can basically send crypto payments just using someone else's phone number. Um, and that phone number is still, you know, it's still like pseudo anonymous because we have like a unique algorithm that, you know, hashes the phone number and then stores that in the public keys. Um, so we're able to provide both security and ease of use um, in that way. And the third thing that makes Celo, I think it's the icing on the cake, is our support for na native stablecoins. Um, so stablecoins are really important because, of course, like, as you mentioned, like, people can be very um, scared to try out DeFi because it's highly volatile. It is hard to just get started. It requires a lot of capital. But the thing with stablecoin is that stablecoins are a way to hedge against the volatility of crypto. And this is especially important for the markets that we serve. We serve over 80 different countries across Latin America, South America, Africa, Southeast Asia, and of course, North America and Europe. And for many of these emerging markets, like it's easy to transfer a stable coin and the stable coin also retains value. Um, and that's super valuable for our users in those markets because they need crypto that they know that they're going to be able to grow and they're going to be able to grow the value of it rather than, you know, see it suddenly drop in the near future. Gotcha. So just really quickly, sticking through Celo again, just so I understand the use case and it's clear to me. So if I were somebody in a country in, I don't know, Latin America or Africa, can you just walk me through 
how, what is my interaction with Cello and day to day, just so I can visualize how it's actually impacting lives. Yeah, for sure. For Cello, like the front facing application that we use is the Valora wallet. So this is a mobile first wallet. And let's say that, you know, you are, yeah, you're in South America um, and you're going to like a store, right? And you want to buy a Coca-Cola or something. And the store accepts like Cello and it, the store owner also has a Valora wallet. You can just send, you can just take the store owner's phone number, add it as a contact on your Valora wallet, and then send them money for the Coca-Cola. And you can send that in stable coins. So if you're in Brazil, we have C-Real. So you can send, um, you can pay for your Coca-Cola in C-Real. If you're in the US or in any other countries that support USD, you can use CUSD. If you're in Europe, you can use Euros, C-Euro. Um, so those are the stable coins that we currently support. And you can send those super easily through the Valora app. And then the transaction fee is going to be like, like it's super cheap and instantaneous so yeah okay that's great thanks for explaining so then is the idea that if i'm the store and i'm that example i then take the stable coins i receive from the from my customers and then convert that into my actual fiat currency in my country yeah you can you can convert it into fiat currency you can stake it in in you can keep it in valora and it can add it can earn interest you know like you can do it in multiple ways. Um, the Valora wallet basically also serves kind of like a bank, right? So that's kind of the different use cases that we're seeing for it. Another cool use case is, of course, just like Venmo, right? But Venmo for crypto. Like you go to a store and pay, like one person pays the store in, in fiat, but you know, you want to send, you. they are requesting like to hold crypto. So you can just send them CUSD in crypto for your share of like dinner or something like that. And um that's also a really cool use case for Valora. So um, those are some of the things that we're seeing. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. And the transaction fee is always, is it a, a percentage of the of the transaction that has occurred or yeah, is it always 0.001 or what, what you mentioned? It's, it, well, of course, like transaction fees, they depend on a lot of things, yeah. right? Um, so they, I think like they depend on like the price of the coin. They depend on like the base sort of way. Um, they depend on, also, um, like the gas limit and stuff like that. But usually, um, because of like just the way our protocol is structured as proof of stake and the way that we have different forms of incentive mechanisms in, in place, like the transaction fees are usually like around a hundredth of a penny. Um, of course, it also depends on your transaction. Like if you're doing 10K, um, it's probably going to be like a dollar or something like that, right? So um, I, w- I think it's more like a percentage plus like. A bunch of other things um, that are at the protocol level. Okay, yeah. so I just want to make sure it wasn't like Ethereum, where like whatever I buy and the transaction fee is like a hundred x what I'm interested in. Oh no, 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 no. You, yeah, we won't. Like, I don't think you'll ever see like transaction fees over ten dollars. So you should be good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks for sharing. All right, switching gears now to Boys Club. I know you're one of the founding members of the community. Uh, can you just say more about what led you to start that? the emphasis in community within Web3 and just anything you can share for folks who are interested in learning more about Boys Club? Yeah, so Boys Club is this amazing community and social club that was started by Dina and Natasha, Dina Burke and Natasha Hoskins. So they both saw a need for like, you know, really intimate, intentional like community um, and they started this dinner series in in New York last year. Um, and so there was like a bunch of women, WomenXN and non-binary folks just vibing together and learning about Web3 from each other. And I found out about Boys Club actually when like Dina joined Cello. And I like did my research and I absolutely fell in love with the concept. 
from like my background in She to 56, like I've always been interested in the diversity space um, and solving problems in this in this niche, particularly diversity in crypto. And I was just really looking for like a community that prioritized connection and learning without barriers. I also just really love good design. And I don't know if anyone has checked out like the Boys Club website, but like the curriculum, the aesthetic, the design is just chef's kiss. It's so cool. <laughs> I, uh, I, I just knew I really wanted to spend my time, you know, building something at Boys Club. So I, uh, I joined the core team uh, a couple months ago. Um, and I'm actually helping out with their DAO. So like, I'm learning a lot about, you know, just DAO infrastructure, how to set up treasuries, um, how to build community with the DAO, how to incentivize the community and, you know, compensate the community and reward them for their contribution. So the response around Boys Boys Club has been amazing. Um, We did our first town hall last January. And so far we have like communities of WMXN and non-binary folks in Miami, New York, London, LA, San Francisco. And we have over 850 members um, just from the last month. Last week, we just did a really cool dinner series um, with Rabbit Hole in New York. And we had like over 150 people waitlisted. And the day before, there was like a secondary market for tickets. So yeah, I think the traction has been really awesome. And I think part of the reason why there's such an amazing response is because like, I feel like like women are just tired of seeing like white men get rich, you know, and we're just like, it's time for us to get the bag, you know, it's time for us to band together, learn, have fun and get the bag while we're at it. And I think that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a community that's fun because crypto learning crypto is steep and it's hard. And why not make a couple of friends along the way and, you know, like learn at your own pace and, and learn like exponentially through our community IRL events as well. Um, so right now we're building out the DAO. Um, we're also, we also have two curriculums up for anyone who wants to like, you know, kind of get started in crypto. We have, uh, we have them on our website. And then we're also just building easy to use guides and also the, the events in multiple cities around the world to make sure that the community always has a place to get together. Yeah, amen to that. Thanks for sharing. No, I, I agree with everything you've said. I think one of my observations, one of the reasons I started this podcast was just, I keep hearing, you know, Web3 and blockchain being touted as this thing that's going to create equality for everyone. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't see any different from Web2 World today. So <laughs> if you ask me, it might be a little worse. <laughs> so. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's definitely gotten worse, right? Because like back in 2017, like everyone was in blockchain because of the philosophy behind it because of libertarianism and, you know, owning your own stuff. And with that came people from all walks of life. And it was such an accessible space too. In the past five years, like the influx of traditional finance has changed so many things. Like if you're staking in DeFi, you can't see proper returns unless you stake like tens of thousands of dollars. NFTs are just insanely expensive. Uh, Joining DAOs, like I, I love DAOs. You know, I have nothing against like friends with benefits, but come on, like putting in like $5,000 just to join your DAO, like not everyone has 5k just lying around, you know? And that's the thing, like the more we learn, like the more we empower ourselves. And like, I personally think like learning with community, you just end up learning exponentially because you're not just like reading stuff together. You're like talking about it. And the more conversations you have about about crypto, about wealth, about building crypto, about learning crypto, it just makes, it just helps build those mental models and mental maps also about the crypto space. That's fair. So then just like, what do you think needs to change? Uh, is it more communities like boys clubs coming out, speaking up, creating those ecosystems? Or 
how do you see things changing? Because I, 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 I'm waiting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's like a very multi, multifaceted problem, right? Because there is like you obviously need communities. You need communities that are centered around learning and education and onboarding and helping people from all walks of life get into crypto. You need more communities that are intentionally designed around learning and communities that don't require you to like shell out thousands of dollars just to be in, just to be a part of them. I think you also need just like better design for protocols as well. Like a lot of these protocols are geared towards people with capital, but I don't really see that many protocols that are geared towards people who want an easier way to get into DeFi or who want to get an easier way to get into NFTs. They want an easier way to start up their wallet and, and to learn how to invest and learn how to how to use different strategies. And I think uh, that's that's a big challenge, right? Like because at the end of the day, it's easier to build something for like five people who have like five billion dollars and can contribute five billion dollars to your TVL than to like build something for 5 million people. But the reality is, but but the thing is like when you build something for 5 million people, like that's amazing because the network effects is like amazing. Even if those people just contribute like $500 each. So I think like inclusive design and also just like the target market and the prioritization of target market for protocols, it's changed so much in the past five years. And I feel like there needs to be almost like a correction of that. If we want to see like DeFi and crypto be adopted by the masses and want to bring the benefits of that to the masses. Yeah, definitely agree with all that. Thank you so much for sharing. So then do you have any advice for anyone looking to get into the space? Yeah, I think community is like a part of it, right? But a big part of also just learning about crypto is by is learning by doing. Um, so that's why I think like the boys club curriculums, like volume one, it really teaches you how to get started with like your wallet, start investing in crypto and start using pool together. Like we also have volume two, where we just teach you like how to properly use DeFi, um, how to use rabbit hole, how to get your like ENS domain. Um, and then I think like after you've kind of done those curriculums, like a good way would be to really understand like, what do you want out of crypto, right? Like, what are your goals? Like, do you want to um, learn how to invest? Do you want to learn how to buy an NFT? Do you want to like just become a subject matter expert? Because the way crypto is set up right now, it's kind of like this universe and there's these interconnected galaxies and ecosystems like Celo, like Ethereum, like Solana, right? Like Near. And then within these ecosystems, there's like different use cases like DeFi, NFTs, DAOs. And so like picking one ecosystem and then picking a niche within that ecosystem or use case within that ecosystem, try out the products within that niche, understand how they work, understand how they're connected, and then, you know, kind of move on either to another niche or to another ecosystem. And, you know, maybe you learned about NFTs on Solana and now you can learn about NFTs on Celo and then see how they interact with each other and see how they connect. Um, and that way you can start like kind of building out that mental model, the mental map of how crypto is laid out. Um, and become more, and you can like, you know, become more confident in the decisions that you make. Um, but yeah, I definitely think like learning by doing and getting started with the boys club curriculum can be really helpful. I'm also happy to like send some resources along your way. If people want like, you know, Twitter accounts to follow for particular niches and use cases as well. Um, I think like those are things that definitely helped me. Um, these past six months. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. If it's not too much trouble, I'd love that. And I'd link those to the show notes. Great. Uh, what's next for you at Silo? It's not a Silo rather. And what's next for you at Voice Club? Anything you want to share that we can look forward to? Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, at Silo. So yeah, as I mentioned, I'm working on um, the NFT initiative. 
And so uh, part of the things that I'm doing is uh, I'm kind of, you know, helping out like NFT builders on Celo um, launch their products. Um, if anyone wants to like start building on Celo, you know, send me an email. I'm always happy to have a chat and learn about your project. Um, and we can also find ways to get you funding and grants as well. Um, I'm also looking at really cool use cases of like POAPs on Celo, um, which is like the proof of attendance protocol. So you get like a badge um, for different experiences that you attend. And then um, you can do cool things with that with that NFT badge. Um, and I'm also looking at building out um, a mobile first NFT marketplace um, in the next few months. Uh, in April 4th and 5th, we're having a really cool conference called Solo Connect. And um, there I'm going to be curating um, a really nature inspired um, immersive experience and exhibition. So if any of you are in Barcelona in April 4th and 5th, um, please stop by and, you know, have fun at like the conference and check out the experience. Um, there's going to be really cool, like a really cool POAP, um, you know, experience there as well. Um, so yeah, just planning out a lot of cool pilots and exper IRL experiences for people too, so that they can interact with NFTs on Celo. And then with Boys Club right now, we're in the weeds of building out the DAO. So a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is like, kind of focusing on like incentive mechanisms for members. Um, how do we do like proper contribution schemes and compensation schemes? And um, how do we like allocate our treasury and manage our treasury and what's kind of the best ways in which we can bring forth change with our community in mind? Fantastic. I'm so jealous you get to go to Barcelona. I was hoping your conference would be in the metaverse so, so I could sneak in and attend. Well, well that's the next step, right? That, that's what we need to get. I mean, like, yeah, the metaverse just completely intrigues me. Um, and it's like, it's, it's so cool. And at the same time, it's so overwhelming. Um, but like, I just love the idea of like a celloverse, maybe. <laughs> I like that. How that sounds. <laughs> That's awesome. I guess Celeverse coming soon. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, yeah. Anything else, Mosh, you want to share with the audience? Keep being curious and just start learning by doing. It can feel like a really overwhelming space, but you know, if you just like kind of focus in on one particular niche, follow a couple of awesome people within that niche, join a community within that niche, you can learn exponentially faster and, you know, become a subject matter expert and, and be confident to move on into the next part of crypto. And yeah, if any of you guys are in Barcelona in April, send me an email. I'm happy to like host, you know, some learning spaces as well um, and just meet new people. So yeah, I think that would be really fun. That's amazing. Awesome. No, thank you so much for sharing, Mash. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for all your insights. Yeah, thank, thank you for inviting me. I really, really appreciated chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Lyde. Until next time.